welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series five and episode 13, which is entitled Faith, Family and Following Jesus. Our main text is Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 21. And we'll be referring to parallel texts in Matthew and Mark as well as we go along. This particular episode follows on immediately after the seven parables about the growth of the kingdom that Jesus taught his disciples and the large crowd that gathered by the lakeside at the Sea of Galilee. And these are recorded fully in Matthew 13. So we've been studying for the last few episodes in Matthew 13. The parallel account in Luke here in chapter 8 describes one of those main parables, the parable of the sower, but doesn't give us all the other parables in that discourse or body of teaching. So we've focused on Matthew's account as we go through the Gospels in the life of Jesus. We focus on the gospel account that gives us the fullest explanation or the most detail in any part of Jesus' life, his events of his life or his teaching. So we've been in Matthew chapter 13 because Matthew focuses on those parables very closely. Now, those parables are set in a wider context, which is the second tour of Galilee that Jesus undertook with his disciples. He's got 12 apostles with him. He's got other disciples, men and women traveling with him. Luke 8, first three verses, tells us a little bit about the female disciples who were assisting as well. And in that second tour, there are many miracles. There are many remarkable events. And there's also a major confrontation with the Pharisees described in Matthew chapter 12, which we've referred back to on many occasions in which Jesus was denounced formally by the Pharisees, probably for the first time, as a false messiah who operated under the power of demonic force rather than under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So the second tour of Galilee is quite complex. A lot of complex things are happening. Jesus is building his discipleship communities, very consciously training the apostles. Series four described another formative part of Jesus' work, which was the Sermon on the Mount, trying to create the right context of the principles of the kingdom and of ethics and spiritual life for his disciples. So there's a lot at stake going on at this particular time. Jesus is forming the discipleship community, preaching about the kingdom and facing significant opposition and facing confused crowds who are not sure which way to go because their religious leaders are beginning to speak very decisively against Jesus. And yet many of them are very attracted to his ministry for all sorts of obvious reasons, his miracles, his grace, his love, the gospel of the kingdom and their hope that he will be the Messiah. So it's a complicated period of time. And what happens in today's episode are some teachings of Jesus that take place, according to Luke, whose chronology we're following, immediately after the parables about the growth of the kingdom. Before we get to those, just to remind you that when Jesus is talking about the growth of the kingdom, some of the things he emphasizes are the fact that the kingdom has arrived now, but it's going to be growing steadily towards his 
second coming, his return to the earth, which is a very major theme, that comes out clearly in two of those parables, the parable of the weeds and the parable of the net. He emphasizes the power of the message, which he describes as a seed. He emphasizes that there is a counterforce in the world today, the force of evil power, spiritual evil, which is going to be resisting the kingdom and is going to be growing alongside the kingdom of God. He also emphasizes the incredible value of the kingdom message and the need to give everything we have in order to get into the kingdom of God. Those are the parables of the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. So there's some very important themes that he's been talking about and all those are being considered and reflected upon by the disciples and by the crowd. And Matthew 13 at the beginning of Matthew's account tells us that a, a large crowd was listening in. But Jesus is not just aiming at them, he's also aiming at his immediate disciples to try and train them and get them prepared to understand his purposes and the way that the kingdom was going to grow in subsequent times. So that's the background that we have in mind. And having just listened to these seven parables and tried to work out their meaning and their significance, the disciples and the crowds are faced up with some very clear teaching by Jesus in this next passage concerning their response to everything that they have heard. And so much about uh, the Christian message is about our response. How are we going to respond? And that's the key question that's being addressed here. So we're going to read, first of all, Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 18, the first part of the reading in this episode. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. Jesus' teaching here is likened to a lamp. A lamp that lights a house. This, of course, is a reference to a society with no electricity, where oil lamps or something similar are the way that people see during the hours of darkness and in the nighttime. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. They put it on a stand so that everyone can see the light. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He's, as it were, lit a lamp. He's basically said, here's the kingdom. Here's the message. I'm the Messiah come. And he's calling people to believe. And he's making it clear that the significance of believing is great. Our response to Jesus Christ determines everything. And a casual or a hostile response is very, very dangerous. Jesus makes this point time and time again. And the light of Jesus's message, like the light of a lamp, exposes darkness. And so he goes on to say that some things that are hidden will be disclosed. This is 
a reference ultimately to God's power to judge humanity. God knows everything about us. God the Father knows everything about us. And Jesus is appointed by God the Father as the final judge in the end times, at the end of the age, to use Jesus' own expression. And he knows everything about us. Every single person listening to this message is known by God. Everything in your life is known by him. And he can reveal it on the day of judgment and the darkness within us can be exposed. That's why responding to Christ is such an important issue and our response needs to be right now when we hear the message perhaps for the first time. And so verse 18 is the critical thing. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. This is an important message for the modern age. In the modern age, we have a massive amount of communication coming to us digitally and in our whole lives. We have a massive amount of information available to us as we go from place to place in any part of the world. There is a great deal of information available about all sorts of different things in life. We are an information rich society and the more developed societies have a massive amount of information easily accessible via the internet more or less any time of day or night. We also have messaging through social media and we have people trying to communicate with us from all over the world in all sorts of different ways. Marketing, advertising and more sinister things are available online. Massive amount of information about news and stories from all the way around the world. So listening, hearing, receiving information is something that we do all the time and we do it on an enormous scale. There's just a vast amount of information to digest. Now, in those days, there wasn't remotely so much information to consider. It wasn't so complex in that sense. You only knew a few things. But what mattered was not how much information is coming your way, but how do you listen? How do you listen to the message of Jesus? This is a more subtle question. And it's a question we understand from our own experience when we consider interpersonal relationships, not that vast amount of information out there which just goes through our mind quickly all the time of the day and night, but how we listen to people in interpersonal or close relationships, interpersonal situations or close relationships, that is something that we all know can be very complex and challenging and we can make lots of mistakes there. Things can go wrong, relationships can breakdown, misunderstanding can develop. Jesus is encouraging us to learn from our experience of dealing with information coming to us and to ask a very reflective and important question, how are you listening? How deeply are you thinking about the issues that are being presented to you? And if we go back to Matthew chapter 13 and the seven parables that we've been studying in recent episodes, my question to you assuming that you've studied those episodes with us or that you're familiar with those texts in Matthew 13, my question would be, how did you listen? In what way did you listen? Was it as an observer or was it as a participant? Because that's the point Jesus is making here. 
is essentially saying, whether you like it or not, you're a participant in this drama of the kingdom of God. Something is coming to you now, a message is coming to you that demands your response. And if you don't respond, you're still a participant in the story. You can't just walk away and say, well, that's just a religious story of no significance. No, this is the kingdom of God coming. Jesus is the king. He's going to return to this earth. He's seeking disciples and followers. He's offering salvation. He's offering forgiveness to people all over the world in every nation, in every language. And we have a choice. Are we going to listen and are we going to respond? Are we going to understand the significance of the things that are being said? So that applies to those parables in Matthew 13, which is the immediate context of this particular saying, but it applies to the whole message of Jesus. And Jesus's concern was that as he traveled around on this second tour of Galilee, that some people weren't listening. They had closed their minds. They'd formed a prejudiced view of him. And they were following the religious leaders who'd closed their minds too and made a very determined statement as recorded in Matthew 12, 24, that Jesus was a false messiah operating by the power of the prince of demons and not by the spirit of God. So how are we listening? We have to be very open. We have to be very vulnerable. We have to lay aside our prejudices when we come to the message of Jesus. And Jesus is encouraging us to listen carefully, to listen with our hearts and to be aware that if we reject his message or just simply choose to ignore it, there will be consequences. Now, the second part of our passage today is a very short account of something very personal to Jesus. This is about his family. We're going to read Luke 8, 19 to 21. Now, Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, there's a lot of drama behind these very brief statements. There's a lot of personal family history here that we need to think about a little bit. So we need to go back in the story in order to understand uh, what's going on here. We know from the beginning of the story that Jesus is the firstborn son of Mary, uniquely born by virgin birth. She married Joseph and we know that she had four other sons that are named in the Gospels. Mark 6 verse 3 names four brothers and describes Jesus as also having sisters, but not giving us their names and not giving us the number of sisters. The four brothers are James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. So those are the brothers who are in mind here in Luke 8 verse 19. And if they all came, that means Mary came with four sons, four out of her five sons to find the fifth son. How many sisters did Jesus have? We don't know. But what we do know is that's quite a large family. And we do know that Jesus is the firstborn. 
And what we notice here also is there's no reference to Jesus's stepfather, Joseph. Now, he may be at home, of course, but it's interesting that all the way through the gospel accounts, beyond the nativity and Jesus going up to the temple when he was about 12 or 13 years old, from that time onwards, there's no further reference to Joseph, his stepfather. The assumption we might make reasonably is that maybe he's died. We can't be sure about that, but he doesn't feature in the story. Whereas Mary features all the way through and Jesus's brothers feature on a number of occasions. His sisters are mentioned just in passing. Now, they've had some difficult experiences to go through because the family depended on Jesus as the oldest son to take forward the family business in carpentry and building. And quite suddenly, as we discussed in earlier episodes, Jesus left the family home in Nazareth in Galilee, went to the River Jordan much further south, was baptised by John the Baptist, went into the wilderness, came back to Galilee, but did not come back to his home. So effectively, he just left home at that point at the age of about 30, single man leaving home. And the next thing they knew, he had set up his own home in someone else's house as part of a new team of followers in the fishing town of Capernaum, some distance away from Nazareth. And the next thing they knew is he'd become astonishingly famous overnight. He was a preacher, he was a healer, he was a teacher, he was traveling around the country. People were flocking, thousands and thousands of people flocking to see him. Well, how would the family respond to this? They've lost their son, they've lost their brother. And we know he came back to Nazareth once or twice, but he never came back to live there again. He'd left the family home, he'd left the family business, he'd left family responsibilities he was conducting his public ministry. So we have to think about this story from the point of view of Jesus's mother and brothers. We can assume from all the available evidence that his brothers did not believe that he was anyone special at this particular time, did not believe he was the Messiah, the Son of God. We know that Mary did believe that profoundly from the very beginning when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and she accepted her role. But the family was not united around that conviction. And Mary still, as a mother, would be concerned for her son, concerned for his well-being. So not only has Jesus left home, left the family business, he's also chosen not to get married, which was a challenge in the social customs of the day, and he was in his early 30s by this time. Most people by then would have been married for many years. So it's, it's a complicated dynamic for the family to negotiate. They're deeply worried for him. And uh, Mark 3.21, recounting this event, but we're just drawing it into this context, describes the fact that they thought, his brothers particularly, that he was out of his mind and they wanted to take him home, get him out of the limelight. Now, one of the reasons why they might have thought that is that they would have heard about the denunciation of Jesus by the religious leaders. They'd be really worried and thinking, Jesus is now really getting into trouble. And that's going to get us into trouble and it could risk his life. So there were real 
concerns there. His brothers were still unbelieving. We have evidence later on that his brothers became believers in Jesus, but only at the very end of his life and partly in relation to his resurrection from the dead. We'll come to discuss that on another occasion. But Jesus, when he noticed that his family was waiting for him, and he was told that, replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And so he makes a very challenging statement here. He's basically saying there are two types of family relationships. There's our biological extended family and immediate family, and there's also our spiritual family. And he is basically saying that he is forming a new family based on his message, which is going to become the church community in times to come, where people will call each other brothers and sisters in the same way that we describe our biological family as brothers, sisters, mother, father, etc. This is very challenging and it almost looks rude to his mother and his brothers that he doesn't make a direct effort to see them and perhaps to go home with them or take some time of rest with them. But he's using this opportunity to make a very important point about the kingdom that he is building. So with all these things in mind, these two teachings, I'm now going to just spend a moment reflecting and thinking, what can we learn? You may already have picked things up and and think that they're relevant to you. That's good. Well, now let's summarise some of our learning points. Going back to the earlier section, Luke 8, 18. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Let's just finally make one or two statements about this to conclude our earlier discussion. It really is important to listen to the message of Jesus with humility and with openness. This is revelation. This is insight. This is something you couldn't know from your own learning or imagination. We need to have revelation from God about Jesus Christ. And that revelation comes primarily to us through the Bible, which describes the life of Jesus in a full and complete and reliable way. No other book does that. And so we need to listen to his message and listen to his words openly and humbly. There are two implications for this. Number one, if we are not yet believers in Jesus, not yet born again, not yet his followers, that openness and that humility leads us to repentance and faith and to becoming disciples and followers of Jesus. Now, for some people listening to this talk, you will know that is your situation and that is your choice. Jesus had such people in mind very clearly during uh, the teaching of the parables that we have looked at in Matthew chapter 13. So if you're in that category and you think, uh, yes, that's me, can I just remind you again that Jesus said in Matthew 13 verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had 
and horses. Jesus is saying there, as I explained more fully in the episode earlier, that we have to make a radical decision to take hold of this treasure or this great pearl, the pearl of great price. And so listening openly and humbly to the message of Jesus will involve some of us in making radical decisions to follow Jesus Christ, to choose to believe, to confess his name and to turn away from a futile life without him living independently of him. That's one of the implications of listening to Jesus' message openly and humbly. The second one is, if you are a believer, is to make discipleship your priority, following Jesus, following through on your faith, being someone of total commitment. For example, with the parable of the sower, being committed to sowing the seed, sharing the faith in any way that you can meaningfully do so. So that's one reflection I want to make on the first part of our passage, Luke 8, 16 to 18. Now, thinking a little bit about the second part, Luke 8, 19 to 21, talking about Jesus's mother and his brothers. There are some important reflections here. As I've already said, Christians belong to two families and we all have to work out how those two families relate together. Our natural biological extended family and our supernatural spirit-led Christian extended family, the church family. We have brothers and sisters in both contexts. We have family members in both contexts, but there's a creative tension. And for many people, Listening to this, you will know and you'll feel that tension. You'll know the difficulties. You'll know if you're in a marriage where one person uh, is committed to following Christ and another one isn't or is lukewarm or unclear or has some other priorities or problems in their lives relating to it, then there's a huge amount of tension there. You'll know that tension between parents and children. You'll know that tension over attendance at church and identification with Jesus Christ. Well, one thing that encourages us in this is that Jesus himself experienced this tension. He was genuinely misunderstood and misrepresented even by his own biological brothers at this point in his ministry. So we should take encouragement from that. Now, this tension can be very extreme where we're disowned by our families. A few people listening to this talk will identify the fact that they've been disowned. Sometimes that tension is a tension, a pressure to conform. Or maybe there's a disapproval or a distance of family members from you because you have adopted the Christian faith. Whatever you experience, whether it's extreme or mild, can I just say to you, take courage from this passage. Take courage from knowing that Jesus experienced that too. Take courage from knowing that you have the Christian family, the church family, who are your brothers and sisters. Take courage from the fact that your first priority is to follow Jesus Christ. But he sought to honour his family at all times. And so should we. That's what we should do to the best of our ability without compromising our faith 
in Jesus Christ. And, you know, that takes wisdom. And sometimes there are difficult decisions to be made. And you'll need perhaps to seek spiritual counsel and advice from Christians or church leaders who you respect in order to know how do I make this balance in my life. But our ultimate priority is to serve Jesus Christ. Let's conclude by just reading from Matthew 12, verses 48 to 50, where Jesus extends this teaching a little bit from the version given in Luke 8. Matthew 12, 48. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Ultimately, in eternity, the enduring relationships are the relationships in the church, the body of Christ, of believers. And we must invest in those relationships and give them their appropriate priority. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.